Hello, friends and music fans. My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to the Independence Day podcast. This is an Independence Day fast-forward episode. That's when we bring an artist back on the show who was previously on the show. Sitting with me right now, Freedy Johnston. He joined us for episode number 62. Coincidentally, recording this episode in an undisclosed location out in the Joshua Tree Desert, just off of Highway 62 in California. A little numerology to get us started today. He joined us on December 12th of 2012. That is not quite 10 years ago. Freedy, welcome back. It's so good to see you, man. Hello, Joe. 10 years, man. This is very similar to another episode that just came out a few weeks ago with Dan Navarro, formerly of Lowen and Navarro. He joined us for an episode about 10 years ago, so you guys are on a similar oh, cycle. Funny. I hope it's not 10 years again before you come back. Well, no, let's let's hope it's a, a year or two, you let's know, hope something so. like that. We were just talking about making new records, but you've got a brand new record. It's called Back on the Road to You. It comes out on September the 9th, you Ninth. said? Mm-hmm. September 9th, which is this week. So make sure you check that out. I've heard some advanced singles. It is very much you, Freedy. Are you happy with the way this record turned out? I know you got some great players on there. The great players, yeah. No, the record, I love the songs on my record. Yeah, I love this new record. The crew uh, includes the great Dave Raven, you know, who mm. you know, and Dusty yep. Wakeman and uh, Doug Pettibone, and a great keyboard player, Sasha Smith. So it's really... Uh, oh, I know three of the... I've never met Dusty, but I know all the other three of those folks. I know Sasha. I met him backstage at an Iron and Wine show. Oh, yeah. At one point, love the Sasha sand. Sasha is Bean. amazing. Dave Raven is a friend. He comes to my holiday party every year. You should come sometime. Yeah, uh, man. And uh, who was the third person you said they mentioned there? I'm so sorry. Doug, uh, Doug Pettibone. Doug Pettibone. Doug Pettibone was on Independence He's Day. pretty good. Yeah, he's, he's been known <laughs> to pick a guitar from time to time. Doug offered to buy my Stratocaster when he came on my show. Oh, wow. Because my Strat was in my living room, and it's he's like, that oh, this nice is a great guitar. guitar. Huh? And I was like, well, I don't know about that, but he took a shine to it. And I was like, that's very nice of you. I'm glad you like it, but no, thank you, but no. <laughs> You've got plenty of guitars, Doug. I will keep plenty. these. The new album is called Back on the Road to You. What did you learn through this process? Neon Repairman was the last time. So I know that I've made records in my life. I know you've made way more than I have. You learn something with every record. I haven't made enough. I don't know about learning, Joe. I mean, it's, you know, me and learning are not always uh, in the same room. So it's been seven years since I made a record. This was essentially uh, me starting over. You know, it felt like, you know, seven years is a long time. Why do you think that is? You mean starting over or seven yeah, years? Just, just the amount of time. Like, why do you think? It oh, felt like, is the it because uh, of there the were time? reasons. There was COVID. I uh, uh, um, just was not able to make a record. You know, I, psychologically, kind of, you know, didn't know what to do. Didn't have a, didn't have a deal. I will say, I, I tried to make it in 2018, and for various reasons, uh, it that didn't happen. You know, reasons that aren't my fault. So I had to start over again in. Uh, this last year, 2021, the Kickstarter campaign that we did is a key element of the whole uh, record. You know, that in fact made the record happen. The fans that supported the, uh, the Kickstarter campaign made it possible. I don't, I don't know. I think that um, if uh, in the old days, when I used to listen to music, if an artist spent seven years between albums, I would wonder if they were still alive. So I understand how that, that looks to the fans or seems to the fans. So, and, and it kind of seems that way to me too. It's like, wow, I'm, I'm you know, am I still a, an artist? You know, is, is this really what I do? But in fact, I found out I am. And so I, I'm, you know, I've made the record. I have a publicist and a, a booking agent again and a label and I'm going back out on the road as the title says. And so, you know, I've got my job back. Yeah. COVID for me was about three years because I haven't been on the road for three years. So 
It'll finally be over. Changes of every kind, mm-hmm. immeasurable in, in changes in all aspects of our lives. I myself, I haven't played a show since before COVID. Since before. Since yeah, before see? COVID. I've done a couple random little online things. I've never... I, play guitar every single day mm-hmm. i've written songs uh we talked about what i call song seeds the last time we were on where you record little ideas for songs i know you know we both had this similar experience where i started out on a micro cassette recorder and then wound up on and then i switched to my iphone when i got mm-hmm. that uh you last time we talked about you were mortally terrified that you had lost a bunch of your song seeds but then got them back that was in our last conversation Touring is happening, and I'll be very curious to talk to you, and like maybe in a month's time, just on a personal level, to see how it's going. Because tours are still being shut down. Oh yeah, because members of the touring party are contracting COVID. Happens and, all the time, right? Right. You're going out solo, though, right? Yes, going out solo. Well, I'm playing a few gigs with a band in Madison. The first gig, you know, I have buddies there, so we're doing a band gig in Hoboken. I'm doing the the Hoboken Arts Fest, and I have a New York band. So. In towns that I have players, I'm doing the uh, Portland, Oregon. I have a, a band there, kind of like Chuck Berry, yeah. you know, um, but mainly solo. I don't know. I swear, I don't know what to expect. All I know is that the shows I've done since COVID have been, let's see, this is 2022. Last year, 2021, I did five gigs the whole year, but they were all really good because I somehow, I don't know what was burned out of me, like the concept of getting upset at a gig went away during covid you know any gig is good yeah and i hope that that remains you know because i definitely have trouble like i've seen some of my my heroes have trouble like i saw steve earl solo live once and he was having to say you know somebody in the crowd like hey man am i bothering you man i'm not imitating steve earl just like <laughs> i mean he doesn't talk but kind of like, hey man am i bothering you it's like wow even steve earl has trouble with the crowd you know yeah sometimes so that always got me down in a way that was like, you know, why am I doing this? But now I don't think it can get me down. I think I'm just going to be, well, the times I've been on stage at least, I, and I've done this year, I've done three gigs already this year. Mm-hmm. Only three, you three. know? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. They've all been amazing because I'm just glad to be there. One of my heroes, it was a band like The Tubes or some other band from the 70s. He was, just, he was being interviewed and he was like, yeah, man. If we didn't have the crowd, we'd just keep playing till we had the crowd, you know? And yeah. so that's a really good way to think about it. You know, I'm just going to, if I, if, if the crowd isn't listening, like, well, I'm going to keep playing then. I'm yeah. not going to stop and stalk off stage. You know, I'm going to keep playing until you do listen. There aren't a ton of silver linings to a pandemic. <laughs> People sometimes mm-hmm. say global pandemic, but that is redundant. Pandemic. Yeah. Pan means sure. All. So, but, but when there's a pandemic, there's not a ton of silver linings. But one of the things that I've taken away from this and all the musicians, I shouldn't say all, a lot of the musicians and not insignificant number of the musicians who are my friends that I've talked to and interviewed have said that musicians are starved for it. They're mm. starved to get back out and do what they love to do. The public is starved. I'm sorry? The public is starved. Well, that was going to be my very next sentence, which is that the musicians are starved to get out and do it. And the people who love music, who love to go to live shows, who haven't been able who to go can't to live play shows, music. Who, who can't play an instrument, are themselves starved to have someone come and play. If we can parlay this, you know, we're at a point with vaccines and some, some kind of herd immunity that touring is happening. It's been happening since last summer, mm-hmm. you know, in some capacity. But And it's been shut down peri- periodically since last right. summer. <laughs> right. But it's been shut down on more of an individual level rather than 
you know, there are certain artists who, Steve Earle among them, who will decline to play a specific show because the venues will not adhere oh, to their COVID sure. restrictions. Yeah. Now, that's eased some as both at the federal level and at the state level, uh, governments have eased off on restrictions. I mean, the CDC put something out over the summer, basically ollie ollie oxen free for all intents and purposes, for it's better or for worse. basically saying like, we're going for herd immunity now or something. Just like, yeah. let's, just, let's just let this thing burn through the population, kind of like influenza. And yes, that's... That's what's going to go on. Uh, my buddies in garbage last summer um, had to cancel four shows, which I'm sure costs a lot when you're a band that size because uh, a couple guys in the band yeah. got COVID. Yeah. My two friends, two friends, two of my friends from New York uh, went on their, their, their yearly. Uh, uh, <laughs> the two people. My, my two people I know in New York. Friends in New York. My two good buddies uh, went to their uh, yearly, uh, on their yearly vacation to Scotland uh, with a, another family and everybody got COVID. Yeah. So it's still there. After I talked to you last December and made the record, I got COVID at New Year's. I hadn't had it. I've been double vaxxed, boosted, and uh, still, you know? So Yeah. This is aside from music, but since the dawn of the pandemic in the spring of 2020, if you watched how different people react, I've learned an awful lot about both people, humanity, our society, and humanity at large in the last two and a half years. There were certain aspects, certain elements in our society that were at the effort point from the get-go. Oh, sure. They were like, not doing nothing, not wearing a mask, not getting vaxxed, we shouldn't close anything, F it. Now we've arrived at what I would consider to be a reasonable place to be the F it point. Because as many people in our society, in American society, as are going to be vaxxed, it's been commonly available and free for a year and a half. If you're not vaxxed by now, you're probably not you're going not to gonna get vaxxed. You're not going to get vaxxed, yeah. So that point was always going to come. And my problem with the other people, and then what will always remain, and things that I've learned about our society, is that that was where they opened with this. Oh, yeah. For me, it took two and a half years. Now I feel safe. Okay, now we're at that point. Mm-hmm. We should be able to basically live our lives and go about our business. Fortunately, this particular virus has done what other viruses do, which we hope they do, which has become more transmissible, but less severe. Mm-hmm. So Exactly. Yeah, it, back. But it's always going to mutate, and... Uh... It's always going to be a problem. It's one of the uh, uh, however many viruses there are that are endemic, right? With, uh, and, and it's just another one. It's added to that list. I think there's less than 10. Yeah. But COVID's added to it now. now. It's, it's just here now. It's part, it's of, just here now. It's and part so of our thing. I know that when I had it, it was fairly minor, but I was told that it affects every organ in your body, including your brain. And that's kind of frightening, of <laughs> whatever left of the brain, you know. But I definitely felt the COVID fog when it happened, yeah. and it was kind of frightening, you know. Were your symptoms mild otherwise? They were one night. My sister, I think, she, yeah, she was vaxxed. I wish she told me she was, but I don't think her boyfriend was. But she's like, I th- I've been having a cold lately. This is at New Year's. I'm like, oh. oh, dear Lord. We don't have colds during COVID. You know? So anyway, I, I got it. I'm not blaming her. Sis, I love you. I'm not blaming you. But – um. It was one night. It was actually New Year's Eve. And uh, I went to bed with the chills. I was like, oh, shoot. You know, this is not fun. It was chills and fever. Woke up in the morning. It was gone. Hmm. Totally gone. And uh, yet I tested it uh, positive. And so there you go. I, I had it. I had the symptoms one night and I was positive for a week. Like normal. You know. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Thanks. I'm, I'm no, very- because believe me, I, know, you, I, I and, and you know people who've died. I also lived in New York for a while. I know you lived in New York City for a while. They got hit the hardest first before mm-hmm. there were any, before we even knew that it was really going to be uh, at the magnitude that it was. 
I haven't lived there in a number of years, but people that I know who still live in New York, friends that I've had since then, personally knew multiple people that died. And therein lies, I think, the type of thing that people in places, I'm not going to name any names when it comes to states, but people I know in certain states didn't take it seriously because they did, if they had seen what the people, my friends in New York had seen, have multiple friends, personal friends, or at least acquaintances, people they knew, people they would see on the street, people they'd go to dinner parties yeah. with, what have you, died, didn't get sniffles. I mean, maybe, they, I'm sure they had sniffles. I don't want to make light of their symptoms, but they're gone. No, if they had if they had conditions that uh, made them vulnerable, you know, they were going to really suffer. Of yeah. course, you know, sad. Uh, my friend Adam Schlesinger, you know, from mm-hmm. Fountains of Wayne, mm-hmm. broke my heart, man. To hear that. John Prine came John, up. Well, John Prine, that broke my heart equally or or, or more. I, can't, I don't want to quantify he, it, but yeah, I saw John Prine in right before COVID. I, I left L.A. right before COVID to visit my brother for a few months to kind of uh, regroup. It happened to be January of 2020 when I moved. And uh, uh, I'd just seen John Prine in the December of, of uh, 2019 in LA at the Ford Theater. Mm-hmm. He played, uh, maybe it was November. It was amazing. He, was, he said goodbye. And, then he, dan- and then, then he danced off stage. And then he came back. And then he one more time waved goodbye and danced off stage. You know, it was, it was beautiful to see him what I thought was the last time I'd see him. Then I was playing Molly Malone's a couple of weeks after that in, in LA with my guys and we go in the bar area after our show and John Prine is sitting at the bar with his wife, the poor guy, you know, he, we like descended on him. Like, well, he's on his, in his stool and we're standing around like, wow, man, he's looking up like, what's wrong guys. Oh, we just love you, man. You're John Prine. You know, he's so nice. Yeah. So that was the last time I saw him sitting at Molly Malone's having a cocktail because his hotel was nearby. Mm -hmm. And you're right. He's one of the, great losses he was still writing fantastic songs and i think he you know he's got to be up there for me with i'm a big paul simon fan huge james taylor fan as far as song merle haggard and john prine's got to be you know tom t hall that that level of, of songwriter like a yeah much better than i i'm ever gonna get to man but you know he's just he's a great loss yeah he for me i think he was the biggest loss uh, in terms of, you know, I would say idols or just people who I respect. Hal Wilner, you know. Yeah. I'm sorry? Hal, Wil- Hal Wilner. Yeah, know, we, that, we, we lost a number of them. Yeah, yeah, uh, of but, course. Not, not, but, the, but as far as songwriters. As far as for me, the yeah. people that like I revere as songwriters, performers, what have you. I'd seen them a number of times in my life. So a lot of times at the Hardly yeah. Strictly Bluegrass Festival, which you should play sometime. I've heard about uh, that. I've never played it, though. Play the it. one in uh, Frisco. Yeah, right. it's oh, wonderful. Wait. Sorry, San Franciscans. You're not supposed to say Frisco. I will say this, Greedy. Uh, as a musician, someone who has played festivals, someone who has worked festivals, someone who has attended festivals, I don't like festivals, by and large. I will be honest and lay those cards. I don't the like porta potties. I don't like porta johns. Yeah. There's any number of reasons why I wouldn't like festivals. Long lines, they're expensive. Lines for food, lines for the bathroom, lines for the bathroom, lines for the bathroom, lines for the bathroom, and the sunshine, uh, yeah. all the things. Short sets, spotty sound, golf carts. <laughs> it's innumerable, right? The hardly strictly festival is head and shoulders above all the rest of them. I oh, go really? every single year. I haven't the only ones I've missed in 10 years, now 12, are the two years they did not do it for COVID and I'm very excited to be going back in a few oh, weeks. Oh, really? So it's in September then. It's late it's oh. late September early October. It's always that first weekend. Wow. Play the show. It's I a will, really uh, really really cool place to play. It's it's a wonderful vibe. I will certainly, you know, tell the tell the folks. Anyway, Prime played there a lot. 
I saw him on you know, Chicago Theater in Chicago back in the day playing with Indigo Girls. I saw him uh-huh. here in L.A. a number of times. Uh, big fan. And I always wondered why. I always thought that John Prine and John Hyatt should tour together. And that would be, be great. And be the Johns, <laughs> which is the a John, funny name yeah. for a band. It implies the whole uh, Ladies of the Night concept. Oh, I but, get it. But Very good. But yeah. they're both, I mean, well, it won't happen. One of them is gone. But that's what I always wanted because like two songwriters that I revere somewhat similar styles but it doesn't get much better than that songwriting prowess on any given night at a set that would blow you away i would i would have loved to have seen that that anyway, uh, that show speaking of songwriting prowess Freddy, you've got a new record i want you to play a live song for the people here what is this first song that you're going to play well it's a song called there goes a brooklyn girl and uh you know i have sort of favoritism you know toward my children toward my song so it's one of my favorite songs on the record and yet I love them all. They're all beautiful in my eyes. <laughs> okay. So one of Freedy's children, this is the song, There Goes a Brooklyn Girl. It's from his brand new record, which is called Back on the Road to You. Let's check this out on Independence Day. There goes a Brooklyn girl. There goes my told her that she's my number one and she went maybe she's always saying that you're only what you become walking away in the morning sun when love is new and she's off to some office I've never seen and I'm tending bar and playing guitar and getting by somehow in between, you know, living the dream. There goes a Brooklyn girl. There goes my baby. Just told me that she's the one who's gonna save me. She's always saying. That it's all already been done Turning around at the corner And blowing me a kiss Then she's off into the crowd And I'm singing bye-bye, baby, goodbye And the city's waking up around me As I'm walking back inside You know it's hard to know it's hard to be the one who knows But it's easy to see a Brooklyn girl When the sun is sitting low So how'd it go? saying 
that the heart can never be won. It must be given in the quiet of the night. When you hold the one you love tight And the city's talking in its sleep Through that window open just a little Yes, it's hard to say And how can you say what can't be said When you're lying there in bed And your Brooklyn girl just walked off in a dream Know what I mean? Freedy Johnston is back with us on Independence Day. He first joined us for episode number 62 on December 12th of 2012. Freedy, 10 years. I know, man. What's that Bob Seger song, 20 years, where'd they go? The it night just moves. takes no time for 10 years to go by. I know that's uh, got to be a future song lyric. It's, it's a cliche, but I really feel like COVID, this, we've talked about this a number of times. I don't want it to be like the late motif of our interview today, but it compressed and expanded time all at the same mm-hmm. time at least that's how it felt to me well COVID deserves to be a topic deserves to be talked about people are still trying to hash it out in their brains my father just had it for the second time oh see that's that's what i hate to hear is people get it rec- recurrent recurrently he's okay he's good though he's, yeah he's okay yeah. i love my father great man but he smoked for 50 years like Ooh, an idiot wow <laughs> and i will say that i mean y'all... i smoked for 25 Ugh, like an idiot <laughs> No, like an idiot, but I, st- I stopped, you know, yeah, good. De- decade. I'm glad to hear that ago. Uh, because it ruined, ruined his health. Sure, of course. And think of it, but now, you know, he's he's getting up there, but he's still, he's out, he's kicking. He's not smoking? Not smoking. Okay, good. Uh, he's, he has a, he's not a drinker, um, not obese. Uh, so those are, you know, factors, risk factors. But it's a miracle he's doing as well as he is. So dad, I'm glad that you're okay. Uh, and, and you as well, Freedy, and, and everyone else who's had COVID out there. I, heretofore, you haven't had in it. our household, we have not had it. Double or you backs, don't know. Double, you don't know. Well, I don't know. That's you, right. If you might have been asymptomatic, and uh, hopefully you did get it in a way, and your body, you know, it's uh, it's, it's plausible. Defense. You know, I, I cohabitate with my special lady friend and our dog. That's our pod. Mm-hmm. If we had it in our household, there would be no way that the other one of us couldn't have had it if one of us mm-hmm. had it. That would have meant that we were both asymptomatic. So I, it's mathematically is possible, yeah, but unlikely. Or you probably. could just have a very uh, uh, uniquely strong, uh, a robust uh, immune, immune system. Immune system yeah. yeah, could be. In any case, great song. I'm excited you've got a new record. The record is coming out this Friday. Uh, you can pick it up at all the places. Are you doing? Are you do CDs anymore? CDs and yellow vinyl. Yellow. I know. I've never done vinyl. Well, I've done vinyl, but I've only done vinyl twice, my first two albums. I also did a reissue of This Perfect World on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the vinyl was, not, you know, I started making records at the end of vinyl. So this is my uh, my first uh, vinyl in a long time, and it's my first colored vinyl, that's for sure. 
and CDs too. Who would have thought CDs were even, I mean, like my last record, I only made on CD. And I was told, well, this will be the last time you ever make a record on CD. You know, they're not even, we're not even going to do that. Just downloads. Thankfully, that's not the case. Yeah. Well, they're very convenient, especially if you're, you know, a road dog. I love CDs. I like CDs too. Uh, I'm a CD. I, I'm a CD guy. I have, I, have a, I have a turntable and I have vinyl, but I they're in storage. At you know, I live with Victoria Williams, but my stuff is stored in Lucinda Williams' warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> Christy, tell me, there's a lot of Williams in your in your family. The Williams family. Uh, the Williams family. But so I have my vinyl all stored with my turntable. I, I only listen to CDs if I, uh, if yeah. I listen to music. I'm not a vinyl evangelist, but I do love the format. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah. And a, a short story. My neighbor was moving out, talking about storage, storing vinyl. My neighbor, when he moved out with his family a few years ago, he lived in the house that he grew up in, or condo that he grew up in next to me in Los Angeles. And they were moving and purging and getting rid of things. And he had, yeah, had a small stack of vinyl, maybe 15 discs. And he's like, hey, do you want these? They were pretty beat up. They'd been stored outdoors in a garage oh, in Los Angeles for decades. So you think they're warped and- Mouse uh, chewed and- God only that. knows. They looked pretty road hard and put away wet. But I took them. I was like, yeah, you know, I'll take them, whatever. I just put them on the shelf. One day, it mixed in there was a copy of Neil Young's After the Gold Rush. Awesome. Which is a record that I know, but I didn't have on vinyl. So I was like, well, I'll just drop it on the platter and see, see how this sounds. Maybe if it's, if it's really bad, maybe I'll just dump the lot of them. I put it on Frida. This is a, must be an old pressing. I kid you not, is the best sounding record I have in my entire oh, record. Oh, yeah, collection. yeah. It's old acetate, and I don't know if the grooves are deeper, or the vinyl's thicker, or there's more weight probably, to it. Probably I don't that, know. yeah. Combination of things. And it's also somewhat to do with the, the, the way the record sounds. You know, it's not The way, like the way it's mastered, certainly, yeah. and, and, and cut. When I did the reissue for This Perfect World now, about four years ago, maybe... We had it remastered from the tape, from the half-inch uh, stereo mixtapes. Was that a two-inch 24-track record? Two-inch 24-track record, and then uh, mixed to uh, half-inch, and then mastered by Scott Hull at uh, MasterDisc, and it is better sounding than the CD. Mm. I mean, I shouldn't say that, but yes, it is kind of. My point being that like a good mastering guy can make vinyl just, you know, or girl. Really, uh, um, what's the word? Bloom out of the speakers, mm -hmm. you know, kind of. It's the transients, I think. The, it, to me, that's where I notice it the most. Well, you notice it first on the, uh, uh, on the snare transients. But the, um, I was lucky enough to be able to go to the, it's actually on my website <laughs> or on, on my uh, social media. You can find a video from years ago of us visiting MasterDisc during the, uh, with my old puppy Sparky, uh, up in uh, Pauling. New York, and I got to witness the mastering up close, meaning that he had, he had this old mastering desk, mixing board, and he was switching back and forth between the half-inch tape and the vinyl. And the subtlest, because the half-inch tape sounded amazing, of course, but switching to the vinyl playback, is like, oh, there's that thing that I couldn't identify, right. but I can hear it. It's the, you're right, the transients uh, are already getting like 6 dB of uh, compression just from the tape, but somehow the way that the that happens at the needle, it makes the drums sound more real. I don't yeah. know what that is. What it is. Real, you know, real is definitely in quotes. Right. I also learned this because I'm about to, ma I'm mastering for vinyl very, very soon here for a record that I'm I would it's recommend Scott Hall. It's coming out. <laughs> if I could, if only I could afford him. He's uh, not that much. You can do it. But the, uh, I'll, maybe I'll call him. Um, I don't mean that, Scott. You're a lot, but I mean, it's like, it's like, it's <laughs> <laughs> expensive, but not too expensive. No, he's the normal price, man. Uh, he's really great. The, uh, he's a master. 
A master, master. Well, what I've learned, a master, master. What I've learned is because I always knew, I know about. I've, I've, I've sat in on mastering sessions before for uh -huh. digital. I know what that's about. I, I'm an audio engineer myself. Yeah. I, at least I conceptually understand the process of what they're doing. Having never pressed vinyl, what I learned. Maybe you already know this. Maybe everybody already knows this, except for me in the entire world. Because of the, it's a physical media, medium. Mm -hmm. When the groove, the, the needles in the groove. Low end frequencies, if they're too present, can quite literally bounce the needle out sure. of the groove. So what they do, it, that low end information, the RIAA curve, indeed, the the low end information, they they basically put what's essentially a crossover on your mix, and everything below a certain frequency becomes mono. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, That's yeah. what I learned. I didn't know that. So below uh, pre chosen frequency, it's all mono, and above it is that point. And so stereo. since your stereo signal is the left and right vibration, is maybe right and the up and down is left when you're in a stereo record maybe it, it sort of uh, as as the signal gets a lower frequency maybe it's no i don't even know i don't know what I'm saying there but I, I, wouldn't I, even, I, I wouldn't even begin to figure it out but yeah low end frequencies are are uh, 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 it's harder to determine yeah their origin you yeah know? Well, those I remember st from the physics of music. I have a music degree. For oh, okay, you. I hope I hope I was correct in what I just said. I had, I I had might... to take a no. You did was I had to take a physics of music class, which I'm glad mm -hmm. I did because I'm fascinated by those sorts of things. But really low frequencies, one wave of that waveform can be sixty feet long. Sure, sure. You don't think about it yeah. in those terms, mm -hmm. but that's quite literally. If you could see sound waves going through the air, not that you can, you know, a sine wave. Nothing is that simple mm -hmm. in any aspect of life. But that's incredible to think about. In any case, we digress. Now we're nerding out about vinyl i do well, love I think the people format. like to hear about that though, i'm excited I, that you've got a record i can't wait to hear it on vinyl and i'm excited to get mine out as well winter maybe spring depending on how long my lag time is oh okay that's what we're looking at how about another tune sure what, what do we got here what's next for us here oh this is a song called somewhere love another song that i i, I maybe this one i love more i shouldn't say that poor i'm i'm sorry you poor songs i don't want to show favoritism anyway this song means a lot to me i I wrote it um, thinking about my roommate from New Jersey when she was moving away, basically. That's the genesis of the song. She's a Jersey girl. Tom Waits. She's a, great she, song. She, great, great song. Great song. Anyway, here it is. Somewhere Love. Okay, this is Somewhere Love, Freedy Johnston from his new record, Back on the Road to You on Independence Day. I know you're gonna find that place you are dreaming of And someday, baby Yeah, I know everything is gonna fall your way But until then you gotta try To make it on your own You gotta find your friends And you gotta make a home I don't know but it's out there down the road 
somewhere underneath this beautiful sky above And someday, baby Yeah, I know you're gonna see All we wanted for you was to be okay to walk in the sun another day But until then you gotta learn And you gotta understand You can always give a call If you ever need a hand You know me, I'm always your biggest fan I'll see you somewhere, love I'll see you somewhere, love I'll see you somewhere, love You're gonna wake up one bright new morning Feel the warmth of the rising sun You're gonna see that all we did was love you That's Freedy Johnston with the song Somewhere Love from his brand new record. Pick it up. You can go to FreedyJohnston.com. That's two E's in Freedy and a T in Johnston. You can also find him on Facebook at Facebook.com slash official Freedy Johnston. On Instagram, he's slash Freedy Johnston or at Freedy Johnston. I never know how to say the Instagram one. I don't. Yeah. I think it's just the word, uh, my name with no space.
Yeah. Freddy Johnson. But it's either a slash or an at oh, beforehand. Oh, I don't know. The, don't the kids me. will figure it out. They know what they're doing. They'll have to figure uh, that Twitter out. Twitter is at Freddy Johnson. But let's talk about this. You, you're starting a new record cycle. We opened this conversation by asking you what you'd learned. And then we veered off into other topics. But what you learned since the last record, and there's been so many changes both in your life and our society, one of these changes is social media. As we were setting up, we were talking about how we're doing it. And you said you've got a manager now, you've got a publicist now, someone to kind of help you out with that. I have a label, have 40, a label? 40 Below you know, Records. They're doing great. Okay. Eric Korn uh, was the producer on the record. So you're, that. but with the social media, you're, you're kind of, is, is this an old dog and new tricks? Like I, like it is for me, or are you embracing it, it and would be, using it for what it, what it can be and seeing where it can take us? And I said us. It I'm would be an old dog, new tricks thing. If social media wasn't such a certified menace to society. And so if I wasn't a musician, I would absolutely not have an account at all. And I mean that not as a, anything other than a, I'm not trying to be holier than thou or whatever. I just feel that it's manipulative. There's a guy named Jaron Lanier, mm-hmm. who's one of the uh, founders, I believe. Uh, correct me out there, folks, but I believe he was one of the founders of Twitter. Founded the platform. And he now, uh, uh, he's quit the company. He gives talks, and he one of the first things he says is, I want you guys, if you don't have to do it, after this talk, I'd like you all to go and delete your social media accounts. You know, It's the best thing you can do for your life, you know. Because I've designed these things, and they are intended to manipulate you and to make you a worse person, basically. To appeal to your anger and your prejudices and your most base instincts in you. That's how we sell advertising time, is by getting you to be more that way. So, heck yeah, social media is a complete poison and evil. And yet, that's how I sell my <laughs> records now. No, it's really true. Yeah. It's really like, I don't like being in the circus mob, but that's how I make money, you know? Right. And so that's what I, that's how I feel about it. I don't feel like, oh, I'm just too old and I'll get it someday. It's like, no, no, no. This is a poison that I have to use. So no, I'm very on a soapbox about social media. Try this. I don't, I don't disagree with anything that you said, not a word of it. However, I would encourage you, like as someone who almost everything I do now for money, whether that's music or podcasts or content, I don't even like that word content, but I generate, I make things. Mm-hmm. I make music, I make podcasts, I make food, I make beer, I make good times, I make furniture, make songs, I make things. It's what I've always loved to do. It's like music. In our last conversation 10 years ago when we talked about this, music is a thing that we can't not do, both you and I. Social media, because we work in a content-based world now, it is something that we can't not do either. And since we have to do it, I don't want to say I've embraced it because it's a very- It's embraced- uh, uh, me or us. I'm sorry, man. Right. You have no choice. Well, right, the but, octopus has you. Right. But what I'm saying is, since I am in the grasp of the octopus, mm-hmm. all eight tentacles and the beak and the whole nine yards. The beak. The worst canucks, part. The whole thing. Uh, I'm Because it's something very, very powerful, like anything else, it's extremely powerful. Nuclear mm-hmm. energy, nuclear weapons, uh, right. cheese, <laughs> for example. Very powerful. Cheese can kill. Very powerful. I love cheese. Since we're there. We might as well try to make the best of it. Oh, I know. No, believe me, that's that's the only way. But still, don't love it. You know, it's like yeah. it's like. Well, I'm doing doing five to ten for burglary. I don't have to like it, but I'll make the best of it. You know, I'll learn how to. <laughs> I'll learn. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like that. I'm sorry. That's about my my view of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's but- not like it makes me a better person, or makes me a smarter person, or makes anyone around me better. Yeah. Well, here's a question. You express yourself through song. 
you and I have had a number of conversations now over the years, usually in the auspices of an interview, but we've talked while setting up and tearing down. I would call you an acquaintance. Uh, we are friends, Joe. We're friends. I would, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. Uh, it's good to have great friends like yourself. I like being in touch with people. You express yourself through song. I express myself through song. But I'm a very social person. I love people for all their idiosyncrasies, for all their faults, for all the cruelty mm. that we experience in our modern world, both online and off. And there's a lot of it. We have a war in Ukraine and Europe. Look what it's done to our economy. Mm-hmm. Another war, another war, another war, another war. Something else we talked about in our last interview was you had written a song about a soldier coming back from Iraq or Afghanistan, which was still mm-hmm. something that was common 10 years ago. Fast forward 10 years. They're still coming back. They're still coming back. But just now, a year later, we're just now off out of Afghanistan after 20 mm-hmm. plus years. Yeah. So... I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, this is going to make sense, I swear to God. I'm trying to find other ways to express myself or to connect with people. Like anything that's extremely powerful, treat it with respect. Nuclear energy slash weapons is the next closest example or metaphor that I can use. When something's extremely powerful, you have to be extremely careful with it. Social media, to your points from before, is extremely powerful. It has the capacity to undermine and bully and divide. In the wrong hands, which it's in. Which it's it's mostly in. But in my little corner of it, and I'm not saying I'm, you know, I have a macrame club or anything like that. I try to use it for the good, I guess is what I'm trying I see, to say. I see your point. And I will uh, you know, say from the other side, the positive effects of social media are real. Think how many uh, uh, grandparents get to stay in touch with their grandkids. Think how many uh, uh, old high school sweethearts have, have hooked up again and they got married, you know, or you found a long lost relative. All that stuff happened because of Facebook. I sell records. I promote podcasts. Yeah, no, I, 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 so I, I get I that part of it. I just have, you know, so yes, you know, just to amend the the previous answer. Yeah, it's evil and I hate it, but yes, it's with us and it's become part of our world. Yeah. So it's like the guy in like 1910, it's like, all right, I'll I'll sell my darn horse, you know? (laughs) I guess so. I'll get one of these things, you know? It's almost that level now where you're just like, yeah, you got to sell your horse. You've got to use social media. But I still feel that if I didn't have to do it for my job, it wouldn't be in my life because yeah. it's not really that – it never makes me feel – I've got to tell you, I'm sorry. It never makes me feel good once I've done a social media session where I have to look at what other people do. You know what I mean? I love my yeah. friends and I see what – and that's that's what Jaron Lanier was talking about. It's like you don't really feel good after that. You feel like, oh, I'm not as good as them or, oh, I maybe I need to – you know, maybe I am inadequate. I got to – you know – when someone gets on there and says, "Hey, look at me! I'm I'm on stage and I'm the reverse," it's like, "Oh, really? I want to be on yeah. stage." You know, it's it's a human response. It's it's not it's yeah. I don't know. It's it's one upsmanship. It's showing it off. And uh, I don't see. I sound very very old. I am. You know, but, <laughs> Freedy, but it, it has turned all of us into not just fiefdoms, and by all of us, I mean all of humanity. Each individual. Now we are a product. We are presenting a visage of what we want people to see out of ourselves, which I guess we always it kind has, of did in a way. To be really, you've got to go all the way with the 99-yard pass to the end zone. It has destroyed the concept of truth. Oh, yeah, very much so. And that's pretty bad because we kind of needed truth, or at least I know that some folks would be saying, oh, yeah, that's right, old white man, you're of truth, you know, but there's other truths. It's like, yes, I know there are other truths. And you probably want to right. edit, edit that out. Actually. Well, look, take it from me. I work a lot in news radio 
and now news podcast, politics is a big, big topic in the things that I do. I spent a lot of my time in that realm. It's exhausting. It's, I mean, it was always a bloody charade. Mm-hmm. But now it's just infinitely more complicated. And if you're familiar, we all know who Steve Bannon is, uh, former sadly, so, former sadly. associate of the of the former president, a Nazi. Happy to say, former president. Yes, a, a white supremacist. He's by a any, white supremacist a Nazi. Um, but he gave a crucial speech and said, and "That's the thing is now people are saying the quiet parts out loud. They're dog oh, yeah. whistling at a pitch so low that everyone can hear it." Yeah. He at one point and sometime in the past several years gave a speech. Uh, I think. Uh, Trump was still president at this time. I try not to even say his name on the podcast. You mean the mango Mussolini? Let's use that term. That's the man. I'm not a, not a fan. Let's just say that. I'm being extremely generous by saying I'm not a fan. For apolitical reasons, honestly. I have political reasons to not like him, but a lot of the reasons... He is I, a bad human being. A, you a, don't say that about very many people. Yeah, I can unequivocally say that much. Bannon, one of his closest associates at the beginning of his administration, worked in his administration, gave a speech, said a quiet part out loud when he says, flooding the zone with was the actual phrase that he said. He said out loud, the Democrats, the other side of their political ideology, are not the enemy. And it's not even really the media. It's the concept of truth itself. Which is evil beyond belief. And by flooding the zone with in other words, rendering the You're truth- demon. Right. Rendering the truth unknowable, that allows you as a fascist leader or a leader with fascist What's the word I'm looking for? Tendencies, Tendencies. Or, 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 or predilections, you know, predilections. Or, 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 or wishes. Wishes as a word. You know, he has wishes of, of a, a kingdom, Trumpdom, you know. For sure. But it, it, once you can, it allows you as that person to redefine what the truth is in a malleable way. It can be something, at 9 a.m. it means one thing, at 10 a.m. it's very Orwellian. Goebbels had it right, you know. Yeah, he most certainly did. It's right out of that playbook. Yeah, anyway, right. I try to keep that out of this podcast as much well, as but possible. I, but uh, that's fine, but we're already there, and, and it's not going to change anybody's mind is the thing. you know. No, no, absolutely not, and, and it ties into social media as well. Well, no, it, it, it does, of course, because that person couldn't have become president without social media. Right. And social media helped him. I'm sorry, man. You've got to point a finger right at Mark Zuckerberg. You've got to. Yeah. If you don't, then you're not paying attention. It ties into my concept, which is he created it. He invented it whole cloth. And I'm not even sure he, at this late stage of the game, fully comprehends how powerful it is. He and is. I know maybe that's an understatement, but I don't think he does. His ethics are very slippery, let's say that, or non-existent, perhaps, yeah. Zuckerberg. Anyway, we don't want to go down that path. Money is very powerful, you know. Yeah. It is it is a mind changing, life changing thing, and he's perverted our society with his advertising platform, which is what yeah. Facebook is. You know, selling ourselves to ourselves, basically selling ourselves to ourselves. Again, we're not changing anybody's mind about this, but it does bear talking about. It's with us. That's the deal. And so when I complain about it to my manager, it's like, well, complaints are over. Back to work on social media now. <laughs> You know, it's like nothing you can do about it. It's like complaining about the boss and then going back to work. So yeah, I'm okay with just doing it and not worrying about it, but I will still complain about it all the time. As we should. Well, next time we'll complain about it at the pub. Your next pint at Tony's Darts exactly. Away we'll, on Magnolia we'll go- is on me. I predict in the future, whatever kind of dystopian future we're going to be in, there will be these, you know, of course, affluent, who's the guy that writes for Rolling Stone? Matt Taibbi. Mm-hmm. Calls them uh, a fluestand. I'm getting the word wrong, but the, oh, the combination of aff- yeah. affluence and it's a portmanteau and, and of a affluent stand, and a stand, like yeah, affluence stands. They already exist, you know, gated communities, or they're basically like, like Palm Springs, just on the road, L.A. County, you know. 
there will be non-electronic provinces where you won't be able to have anything electronic. It'll be a really Luddite kind of thing that will be necessary to have a stable society. I think so. Like no electronic signals at all. You know, you've, you've got to write a note to somebody. You've got to see them in person. I know this is completely like, you know, uh, Mennonite, you know, living in, in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. That's how you live. But I feel that in the future, that's going to be necessary for some communities. You know, like let's get rid of all things electronic, have monitors for electronic signals so you just can't do it. I'm talking bullpucky here, but it's just, it's really <laughs> like, you know, I, I see that as a future. It's a weird combination of George Orwell and Ann Rand. You know, like I, I read both The Fountainhead and yeah, Atlas yeah. Shrugged. And because I felt like, I'm not saying I'm, I espouse the belief system of Ayn Rand, which I most certainly don't, but I feel it's important to read books so that when I criticize them, I don't want to say she's like the enemy, but like when I talk to people about literary things or about movies, you about need to TV, read it because the, the, I want to cl- yeah. say I know about it. The clowns on the other side follow that. Yeah. So right. you, want, you know your enemy. Orwell is on my phone, the collected uh, writings, absolutely needs to be read by all, all, all youth who are trying to educate themselves. He saw this coming and uh, saw a totalitarian world already existing in Stalinist Russia where the world is recreated in the dear leaders form. Well, it already exists in North Korea too, where it's a nightmare. You know, yeah. we, we, we take it for granted that we have this open society and we're able to, here in Joshua Tree, we can go, you know, do what we want, say what we want, act how we want. And that's not possible in a lot of places. And Orwell saw how money was going to create a sort of commercial fascism. He saw how various monopolies are going to create just a few uh, sources of, of information. Right. And that's happened. And we've taken it for granted. It's, it's the frog in the pan thing. I know we're getting really political here, but it really is part of being a musician. You know, you're, you're, well, right. you're always this kind of guy. You're always thinking about it. I've been pretty good. This is one of the rare times I even talk about it because it's not encouraged by my manager or anybody to talk right. about this stuff. Because frankly... Nobody gives a damn. Nobody listens to Bono when he talks about politics, or they do, I guess, but it's like, dude, sing a song, you know? Yeah, it's funny. I'm curious to see what the reaction to my next record was, because my first two records, usual songs about relationships- Is this one really political? Oh, very political. Oh, okay. Sorry, Joe. Then they're, No, 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 no. No apology necessary. I knew full well what I was doing when I did it. I would do it again. I felt like there were some things that were, it was imperative for me to say. Well, like you're on the in the Neil Young camp. It's like you gotta say it. Yeah, yeah. It, however, however, bar- however embarrassing or whatever it sounds, and not embarrassing, right. but like when he did that song right after Tiananmen Square. I'm like, mm-hmm. I remember I was younger then, thinking like, oh man, he's just like, I don't know, this has got to sound right because I love Neil Young more than life, you know. But I was like, I didn't get the activism part of that right. song, you know. Uh, and I realized how wrong I was. I was just starting out in music. It's like, yes, you've got to use what you've got to say yeah. what needs to be said. So I understand your your point. I frankly am probably a little guilty for not doing that myself. I just can't really say anything other than what the characters are saying in the songs. You know? Right. Well, I did the same thing, but this was a little different. I mean, I come from the show, don't tell school of songwriting, generally speaking. But this time around, I felt like, I don't know, maybe it's pretentious of me to believe this or to say this, but I feel like we all bear responsibility. All the things that we've been talking about for the past 30 minutes are all wrapped up in this. The concepts of social media, the concepts of agency, the concepts of freedom, trademark, patriot porn. Hmm. We as humans, as artists trying to express ourselves in an increasingly complex world where people present themselves as individual products on social media. They certainly do. 
And all of these things are tied up together. So I, again, I come from that show, don't tell school. At least I try to, as a songwriter, I try to not just tell people what I think, but there were a few times on this record where I hope I get some interviews for this because I'm dying to say, this is my first opportunity to say this at all to anybody other than my friends, is that I kind of went right at it for the first time. I just said the things openly from the other side. Whereas we're hearing a lot of people saying the dog whistles lower pitched. But I feel like someone else has to say, like, we've got Billy Bragg. Of course, we've got Bono. Bono's got more money than God. People, See, people I was on the road with him. Billy Bragg. I love that guy. Yeah. And he's very political. Yeah. And I always admired him for that. Like, this is my role. I must, you know, I've got to change the world. And I've got to say, I, I always felt inadequate when I was opening up for him. I was like, yeah, all I'm singing about is being sad and alone. And so I always, <laughs> always impressed... Always impressed with with Billy that he's yeah. a real activist. Still is, you know. Yeah. Or Johnny Clegg I was on the road with him. Right. You know, and so it's uh, like what was his band? Sabuka. Sabuka. Yeah. The uh, you know, and so I admire it. I got to say, it's not my thing. And you know, my comment about Bono is it's like low hanging fruit. You know, he's probably had a great effect on many issues. You know, through his activism. So I, th- there's certainly an argument that if you get any kind of fame, you should use it for whatever you see as a positive good. And I, I get that. I can only speak from my own perspective as a human and as an artist. I saw what was happening in our society and felt like I don't have a huge platform, but I did feel it was incumbent upon me, maybe just, and again, this, I hope this doesn't sound pretentious, but like people need to hear it from middle-aged white guys and not just young people of color. Well, that's true as well. You need to hear it from everybody. Yeah, that's what I mean. I am the demographic that would be most likely to be right-wing, moneyed, secure, mm-hmm. institutionalist, in terms of things. But, but it seems like the people I've talked to, and it's, and it's been strange to talk to people who I thought I knew you know, during the last president's uh, 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 reign of terror, that I thought I knew them and I found out they were on the other team. And it's like, what? We yeah. just smoked pot together. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? You know, and so yeah. I don't think there's any convincing that can be done in a way. It's yeah. just, very, it's, it's sort of like the, whatever metaphor you want to use, you know, cat out of the bag, horse out of the barn, it's done. Yeah. Well, but here's a point of clarification, Freddie. I'm not sure I'm saying this with the intent to actually convince someone. Again, I revere Orwell. I revere Bradbury. I, re- I revere Vonnegut. Uh, I've read my uh, Huxley as well. Dystopian fiction is a thing for me. I like it as a cautionary tale. But what I'm saying is not so much to change people's minds, but just so that someone documented it somewhere. Well, you might change one mind. Is that I, I think I'm on your side. I wish I could I could be actively that way, but I get you, man. If you change one mind, right? You know, maybe it's worth uh, if you talk to a hundred people and you change one mind, then it might be worth right that. Like conceptually, you know, this record is also the most rock and roll record I've ever made. I, I, when I moved to California, I've told so many people this over the years. I thought I was going to make a very laid back, breezy, quiet, intimate, acoustic record when I moved to California. The Eagles. I, I was well, even more so. I was listening to a lot of Iron and Wine at the time, a lot of Sufjan Stevens at the time, a band called Hem, one of my favorite bands in the world. Very quiet music, embracing music. But the drummer I got was very much a rock and roll drummer, not like a Guns N' Roses rock and roll drummer, but a rock guy. He comes from Gloucester, Massachusetts. He has since now moved somewhere else. So the record wound up being a little more rock and roll. And I'm fine with that. There's that in me. As discussed in our last conversation, we're both classic rock guys. The new record is even more rock and roll than that. So like, what I'm, I feel like what I'm kind of trying to do is like play amped up ACDC Rolling Stone style, Tom Petty style classic rock with the amps turned up loud, but then 
instead of like, look, I love ACDC. Back in Black is a great record, but they're singing about nothing. They're all, well, I've covered enough ACDC songs in my cover band, Note All Boyfriends. They sing about one topic. Right. Groupies. And drinking, but it's pretty much drinking with groupies or right. whatever. It's groupies. Yeah. It's that pubescent male ideal yeah. of sexuality. Yeah. It's kind of awesome in its own way. It's they they they've got a thing. They but, had a thing. But yeah. that's what it is. So like it there are songs that maybe tilt towards that, but it sounds like lyrics you'd hear from Billy Bragg or Steve Earle or a protest singer. Like so that's maybe maybe I'm just trying to like get them to accidentally think about it. There you it. go. That's that's a good way to do it. Like yeah. Hook them with the rock riffs. Yeah, yeah. Fool like, them into listening. <laughs> next thing you know, they're going to going to socialist marches. All right, Freedy. I love this conversation. But let's have some more live music. That's why we're here sure, today. Man, what is you got? One more live song for us here. What is? I've got a song. This is more of a. Um, I don't know what uh, where this so- this song was. One of the first ones uh, written in the uh, group of songs that is the album. It's called "Trying to Move On." I don't know. I wrote this song at a really low point when I hadn't made a record for a few years. I was living with my sick dog in New Jersey, and I was ready to kind of get a job almost. Oh, and so the song is very Jesus God, not that. And and so this song it's a tongue in cheek kind of thing, but it's it's in a way I realize it's pretty negative lyrics or dark lyrics, but I don't know. It seems more jokey to me now now that I've heard it. You know, you talk about your your record. Well, you can play. Let me play the song. No, no, go, go ahead and go. Ahead. But you talk about when you're recording. One thing I can say I might have learned. You never really learn, honestly. You think you do, is that you don't have control over your album, even if you cast it with the greatest musicians and the and the producer and stuff. You don't know how it's going to sound. You know, you, you you can guide it, but you might think, I'm going to make a rock record. You realize, I didn't make a rock record. I had electric guitars, but it's more drone. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's a music has its own ideas. Yeah. You know, it's it's going to go its own way. I don't know. You use the metaphor of songs as children before, which I have honestly done many, many times because I, I don't have children myself, but I'm the oldest of four children. So I was parenting at a young age in a, in a manner of speaking. Many of my friends have children. I've now watched them growing. One of my best friend's kids is away to college just now, like right now now. And I think that's a great metaphor because when you have a child, there's the nature-nurture concept. Like they have their own ideas about what they want to be. I, as the parent of that child, all I can do is guide Same it. thing with songs. No, that's, when, that's what I mean. Once I, when, and you know, I've read that early on from novelists or uh, any kind of writer, like screenwriters, you know, this thing had a life of its own and it went this direction. There was nothing I could do about it. Same thing with songs. And once I write a few lines uh, and there's a melody line there, it's like, okay, the song is asking for this now. It was going to be about this and now it's about this because the song made that decision. I forget which song on the album. There was one that I had an intention that it was going to be about this. And halfway through, it totally changed. The song said, no, I'm going this way. Yeah. I know I I don't want to anthropologize Morphize the song too much, but it's kind of like that. They have their own personalities then. Most definitely. And I've at least learned that. In the past, I've completely changed songs because I just like, well, I'm going to completely rewrite the song and realized, oh, those earlier lyrics were better. You know, the song was right. You know, sorry, song. Yeah. I won't point out which ones, but it's like, you know, it's like, well, I should have just gone with what the song told me the first time. Yeah. I want you to play the song in just a second, but a very, very quick story that I think you'll relate to, perhaps. There's a song on my new record. It's ostensibly like the only thing that could be a ballad on the new record. And I wrote it kind of as an instrumental, just a fun guitar thing that I like to play. And I even played it out with the band I was playing with at the time, kind of as an instrumental. And I have a producer for this new record, uh, and he's great. 
And as I was showing him the songs for the record, he's like, yeah, that one's really, really good. You should write lyrics for that. And I was like, oh, God. (laughs) Now I have to reinvent, or at least now I have to do what you said before. Now I have to listen to this song. Because it was telling me, at least I thought it was telling me, that it was going to be an instrumental. Just a thing that maybe I would throw on a record or play at a live show from time to time. I don't write a lot of instrumentals. I'm a songwriter, lyric guy, like yourself. At least I'd like to think so. But, so I did the Ray Bradbury trick. Bradbury would wake up in the morning and then he would write before he did anything else. Because he he was of the belief that your mind is kind of clear at that point. Well, it's true. There's no encumbrances. If you're a writer. Yeah. So in songwriting, I mean, I mean a writer, writer, like yeah. songwriting, maybe is not the same way. Yeah, songwriting might have to wait till you know eleven thirty p.m. and a couple of cocktails. Who knows? But I tried this and it worked like gangbusters because I had no idea what this song was going to be about. The music wasn't telling me there was no melody. I hadn't conceived of it that way. But then I came up with something, and I'm extremely proud of what I came up with. And it became a song that was deeply meaningful to me. The first time I played it to my brother, he wept. Oh, man. And that's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's going to get somebody. At least I hope so. Because I'm like you, I'm trying to make that connection. I'm trying to make people think about something or feel something. That's at the most well, base sure. level. That's what I'm trying to do. I think, you know, that's why we would do it in the first place. You're trying to touch someone, you know, yeah. use a kind of hack word. You know, you're trying to touch them. Yeah, very get, much so. Get to them, maybe, you know. I don't know. Get them out of their, what I'm trying to do in, 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 in as many words is get them out of their work-a-day feeling. If I can get them with anything, a melody, a, a line, a song, a sound of a guitar tone, I just want to like shake them just a little. People need to be shaken out of their like their thing. So, Freedy, this song, Trying to Move On. Trying to Move this. On, yeah. Okay. Freedy Johnson, the song is Trying to Move On. We set it up once before. Here it comes from his new record, Back on the Road to You on Independence Day. First thing is I break my neck Picking up my last check And then I total the rental car Backing it into the hotel bar And on the way over the airport fence Somehow I lose my new glasses All I see is the bright white lights Hey man, but that's alright That's just me Trying to move on Trying to move on Trying to move on Trying to move on I'm trying to move on Baby Trying to move on Baby Trying to move on and find myself Some way out of this padded cell And so I lay down dead on the floor And when they're gone I run off from the mark You see me driving away in the van Tip my corner's cap to the man And hit the road with a new point of view Hey man, what would you do? That's just me trying to move on Trying to move on Trying to move on Trying to move on I'm 
try to move on, baby. Try to move on, baby. I've tried to move on, try to move on, try to move on, try to move on. I'm trying to move on. I remember seeing is my face in the rearview mirror. Took the chance to say goodbye, but I had a far, far away look in my To move on, try to move on, try to move on, try to move on. I'm trying to move on. I'm trying to move on, try to move on, try to move on, try to move on. I'm trying to move on. One last song with Freedy Johnston. The song is Try and Move On. Freedy, man, every time you release a record, there's gems on there. Dig it. Oh, thanks, man. Dig well, you know, you the um, the songs take a long time, so I'm okay with, uh, uh, you know, accepting that praise. Thank you. It's, you know, it just if you work so long on something, you know, it, it better be good. Yeah. I don't what, know why it takes so long. It's, it's never been a, a quick process. I don't know why, but they, they come out okay. Yeah, you know that's why I have I have ten songs to write until next July when I record, and I've got ten songs that are pretty close. But you know I'm still on a deadline, ten months from now. So it's that's how tough it is for me. For some reason, I've tried to write quickly. It doesn't always work. I see genius people like my friend Steve Poltz. It's just no problem for him to write a song, boom, boom, boom. You know, or you know Elvis Costello's that way. You know, everybody's got their process, right. and I'm I'm just very slow. But the results prove the process, because when I, 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 so. I I've listened to you, I've been listening to you for twenty years. Or when did Can You Fly came out? That's thirty years, right? It's a while, ninety two. Uh, thirty and years. like from the get go, you know, as a young musician in the Chicago area, I heard this. My friend went to New York to play some shows, and he came back with records by you and G Love. Who was kind of oh, breaking yeah, out at he the was time, big, sure. and some other folks from New York at the time. But it was before I moved to New York. And what I take from you, or the impression I get from you in your writing, and this is borne out in our conversations, is that you're a craftsman. You're you're really working on it. You're not the type of writer where it just kind of tumbles out. You know, I know certain musicians who, uh, what's his name, Ben Folds, will do these like live events where he writes a song on the spot. Oh, I love that kind of stuff. It's, I, it's a different thing it's a different aesthetic entirely it's a totally different thing i was doing an interview with a guy uh marty from i forget what magazine from uh, uh manchester last week a great guy and he was talking about that about how we put it into words where it's like you know for me like the song and the melody and the lyrics create this one thing that has to uh, uh every little contour of the landscape of that song has to work lyrics and melody at the same time 
that's the way it has to be. Otherwise, it's not perfect. And I don't mean perfect in like, it has to be perfect. Meaning like perfect as in done. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I finish a song, I don't know, I can think of a few that I finished. Like this perfect world or there goes a Brooklyn girl or whatever. I don't have any desire to change any words. But it took a couple of years to get to that point. You know, and so it's a machine or it's an algorithm or something. It's a thing that works together. It's not a song with good lyrics or a good melody that has good lyrics on it. No, it's everything together. That's the way I look at it. And that's not the way everybody looks at songs. Believe me, I understand that. It just happens to be the way I backed into songwriting, yeah. I think. You know, I kind of backed into it because yeah. I had a day job, man. I was mm-hmm. not like a lifer musician. I just happened to be good at it. If I hadn't been good at it, I'd still have a good job. <laughs> <laughs> you I loved me. my last job. Uh, you know, I don't know. I never liked punching a clock. Oh, man, I, I loved my job. I, I still get because I just worked in Midtown at, yeah. at an architect's office. I didn't have any responsibilities. I worked in an architect's office. We were all good friends. It's like a family. I yeah. still talk to all those people. I love yeah. them. And then I got a record deal. They're like, I got to quit. I'm like, what? Yeah, I got to quit. I got to go on the road. And I should have said like, hey, man, I'm quitting. I'm going on the road. You know, Freddie, was- you might be the only person I've ever heard of in history who was sad about getting a record deal. Oh, they deal gave me a big party. And, and I said, I might be back in a few months. I really did. This is when I went on the road for Kenya yeah. Five. I said, yeah, I might be back in a few months. I don't know. My manager's making me quit my job. He told me to, you know? So I was like, I can do this. I can come back after these tour dates and come back to the job, right? He's like, no, no, you got to quit it. Which is kind of a gutsy call for a manager, but it, because it they're going to really get worked a cu- out, though. they're going to get a cut of your percentage. So in some ways, it's incentivized because they want you to go out and make money. No, that's true. And and, and he was right. He was like, if you're going to do this, do it. Yeah, uh, that's fine. Yeah, you know, man. But it's worked out. I always try to express the. I don't want to use the really tired terms, even though they they are real, like gratitude and you know, be thankful and so forth. But I am grateful and I am thankful and I'm and I'm lucky as heck. Yeah. I just got a good break and yeah. man, I as sad sack as I am, I am a truly lucky person who's quite happy to yeah. to be playing music for my friends uh, down the road. Well, keep it up, man, because I've I've always from the from note one, the first time the needle dropped on uh Can You Fly for me. Uh, I, I loved what it was. It was. It was. Oh, thanks, it was a. F- we had just come out. That of That one came out pretty well. We had. Well, we had just come out of the eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, everything was gated snare drums and like synth hooks and, boom, God, boom, God, you know, th- yeah. that whole thing from that whole aesthetic, right? I mean, there was a lot of other things going on in the eighties too, but that's what was in the mainstream consciousness of our art and music in the world. And you started to hear records like "Can You Fly," and you started to hear records like "August" and everything after, and you started to hear records like "Altered Beast." But this was Matthew Sweet and um, no, and the, the Altered Beast, and then uh, Girlfriend was a huge influence on Can You Fly, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, also the Nirvana record. I worked with Butch, of course, after mm-hmm. Can You Fly. Right. It's funny. He Butch Vig, li- we're talking about. Butch Vig, he liked Can You Fly. He liked my record, which is weird. It's like, wow, you know my music. But when we were making Can You Fly, me and Kevin Salem and and Newt, you know, the producer, we were sitting around. They were talking about this record. Never mind. And I didn't, I just didn't listen to music. You know, I just, I was like, what is that? Oh, it's the greatest record. It's the new record. This like, it's the standard of new records. And so the producer was like, yeah, I want to, he's like, I want to make a record that's that good. Basically, Newt did, because he was so into it. It doesn't sound like Nevermind. Right. It certainly was influenced. And then you talk about August and everything after, you know, that was uh, T-Bone's real, that was a real breakthrough for him to make a pop record like that. You know, pop, pretty. I'm sorry to interrupt, but like pop, comma, but 
without all the affectations oh, yeah, of the no previous decades. It, like, like create a new a new way of making pop right, songs. Take yeah. things away. No sense. Still any like, pop, you know? Like, yeah. Like like a Rolling Stone pop. You Beatles know? pop. Yeah. Old school pop. Anyway, Freedy, I could talk to you all okay, afternoon. Joe. You've got to go on the road. You got to. So, I, I, I have one more question for right, you. Man. Shoot. Record comes out this week. I want everyone to buy it. Go to freedyjohnston.com. Or 40blowrecords.com, okay. I believe. Or is it? 40 Below Records is, is, the, is the label. I'm People not sure, will be but, able to find it. They can Google anything. Yes. And you'll be touring. Like, so what, I guess that's the question. A simple question. It's a very general question. What's next? Road dates and then another yeah, record I'm next year? I'm leaving here. We're leaving here in the morning. Uh, once I go get my car out of the shop at Scott Auto today. My 20-year-old car, Pumpkin, is uh, being made roadworthy. I leave here tomorrow morning, and I come back Thanksgiving. Okay. So that's new to me. I'm so elated to be doing that. You know, I'm doing the job again. It's so great. So I'm going to, starting in Viroqua, Wisconsin, for Butch Vig's Father's Remembrance Show. And then um, Madison, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, blah, 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 blah. You know, I love it, man. I'm going to uh, I'm going to be at Americana Fest in Nashville mm. in uh, mid September. That's going to be a big deal. Yeah, I have many friends going to that. That's just a couple of weeks it's away. It's going to be really fun to see all the folks I know from Jim Lauderdale and Buddy Miller. Love Buddy. Oh man, so many people. Doesn't get much. He's he's at Hardly Strictly every year. Do you know Buddy? Oh, I love those guys. No, but I was so honored when I had put out this perfect world that this guy Jim Lauderdale, who I'd never heard of, was going to open up for me. And uh, uh, my manager said, yeah, Jim's going to open up for you. I'm like, okay, cool. I said, no, you don't understand. Jim Lauderdale is opening up for you. You know, he's like a famous songwriter and wants to open up. I'm like, oh, okay. I was so naive. So I met Buddy and him. A few dates into the tour, you know, my manager took me aside and said, you know, Jim's a very successful songwriter, let's say. He doesn't have to do this at all. He just likes your music. You know, I learned, I mean, I love Jim so much, man. Early on, he showed such support for me and taught me a lot about guitars actually talk acoustic guitars he had this new collings guitar he's talking to me about it and buddy one of the greatest guitar players i've ever seen it's just fantastic yeah all right pretty i'm gonna kick you out of here the song we're listening to uh i'm gonna kick myself out of here i gotta say i'm I'm so excited to see chuck mead in nashville i love him so much my kansas friend yeah all right so the song we're listening to underneath this end of our conversation is darlin it's from the new record yes it features harmony vocal by the great amy Mann. oh amy Mann! everybody yeah, loves amy man. Mann. i She's... most certainly do i've been playing old till tuesday records most recently that coming up close soon i can't get enough of that song man she's a great artist i love her uh, uh drawing she does mm-hmm. the animations and she's got a great Instagram account talking about social media being used for well, good. she's really good at that. She's really good at that. Yeah. But, it's, but it's funny. It's like just this thing with like squirrels in her backyard. Very much worth checking out. So, Freedy Man, thank you for okay, taking the Joe. time. It's always an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I wish you the best of luck with this new record and the tour. And I hope everybody out there in radio and podcast land goes to see Freedy when he comes to a town near I'll you. I'll see you down the road. Okay. Cheers, Freedy. Okay, man. Bye. Oh